0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about restoring the glory. This is lesson two basically laying a foundation so we can have a greater manifestation of the glory of God in our in our midst every time we assemble together and also in our lives individually. Uh, we want it individually as well, right? Praise God. So let's pray and we'll study. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together this evening. Thank you for the anointing upon the word that goes forth, that it may penetrate our hearts and minds and change us from glory to glory. Give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and minds that are open to it that we may understand it supernaturally and spiritually and walk in the light thereof. We purpose in our hearts to be those that are children of light, walking in this world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this generation that you've called us to reach, that they might see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. And so, Father, we thank you for this honor and privilege that we have the study of your word together tonight, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, The story of King David returning the ark back to uh, Jerusalem is a story that involves judgment, failure, and, this well, success. We know that the first time that he tried to bring it back, there was failure, and an individual was judged, and he died. This tragic death, of course, brought embarrassment to King David and humiliation among many of his peers and many individuals. Uh, but the second time that he did it, there was success. And we want to look at both of these so that we can better understand how we can avoid the mistakes and do the right thing. What is necessary for us to promote the glory of God in our lives and in our midst here. So when we talk about bringing the Ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem, the Ark represents what the presence of God, the blessing of God, the power of God and the anointing of God, God manifesting himself in powerful ways among the people. So look with me in 2 Samuel, and chapter 6, and we see, first of all, his first attempt to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Jibbeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Jibbeah accompanying the ark of God and Ahiah went before the ark and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord in all manner of instruments made of fir wood even of harps and psalteries and on timbrels and cornets and on cy- and cymbals and when they came to Nashon's threshing floor Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the Ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid, notice, of the Lord that day and said, How shall the Ark of the Lord come to me? The Ark, we know, was captured by the Philistines as a trophy of war. And for approximately seven months, the Philistines had the Ark, and it went from city to city to city at least three times. And when it was there, it just wreaked havoc with all the people. We know Dagon fell, and we also know that people got sick. There were boils and tumors and all that sort of thing. And so they finally wanted nothing to do with the Ark of the Covenant. And so they got rid of it and sent it back to Israel. And it ended up in the house of Abinadab. And it was there for 20 years and King Saul, under his reign, paid no attention to it. I can't even imagine this, but it had nothing to do with bringing the Ark back and retrieving it back where it belonged. But when King David took over his reign, he met with other leaders, and they made a decision that they were going to once again return the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. So they set out to do that. Well, They all agreed upon this, but the thing is, when you try to do something your own way and you don't do it God's way, you get into trouble. There were 30,000 individuals that were there. There was this parade that took place, and David was excited about what was going on and all the singing, all the worship, all the praises that were going up to God, and everything that you could possibly imagine. Yet, it was ruined. When Uzzah died, he dies trying to study the ark, and his death brings embarrassment to the king. This is his first public or civic event among all the people. Now, they knew he was a mighty warrior. And, of course, we know all of his exploits. But now, as this civic leader, he is having this procession of celebration, but it's ruined because this man dies. He's embarrassed in front of all these individuals, And, of course, he's angry at God. Imagine that. He's angry with God, but he's also afraid of God. Well, what would you be like? This man died touching the ark, and all of a sudden now it's a danger to them, and no one wanted to go near it. It was then taken over to the house of Obed-Edom, and it's there at the house of Obed-Edom for about three months, I believe it was. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, let's continue on and look at number one, first attempt, or number two, the second attempt in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. The second attempt is different. It was told to King David, saying, The Lord had blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. Hmm. Now wait a minute. Before all this happened and now this man and his family is being blessed so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness, and it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, six paces is about eighteen feet and David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was girded with a linen ephod so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now, we see that David realized his mistakes. And what he does, he sets out to correct his mistakes and do it God's way and not do it his way. In the process of doing it God's way, he gets results. When he first of all tried to do it, he found himself being somewhat like Naaman. Naaman the leper, if you recall, did it his way until finally he changed his heart and mind and did it God's way. But on the second occasion, David corrected all the mistakes that he had made. He brings this Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belongs, and now they have once again among themselves the Ark, which represents the glory of God, the presence of God, the blessing of God, the power of God at their disposal. Now, as a result of doing this and correcting his foolish mistakes, he reveals to us certain principles by which we can learn how to experience the glory, the blessing, the power of God in our lives individually and collect- collectively as a church body. So we want to look at those real quick. Number one, what did he do differently this time? He submitted himself to the word of God. He submitted himself to the word of God. You see, the first, in the first attempt... He just went ahead and did it his own way. I realized many years had gone by, but still there was no excuse for him not to know exactly what God said about transporting the Ark of the Covenant. There was no reason for the Levites that were there not to know what God said about transporting the Ark of the Covenant. And even though it was a new cart, it wouldn't matter if it was an old cart or a new ox cart, they were not to move the Ark that way. And so they were in rebellion. They were not doing it God's way. And that's why this man dies. And and David was afraid of the presence of God, the power of God, because look what happened. So we see here that David changes and submits to the word of God. Now look at these verses in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 12, the first part of that, and then 1 Chronicles. Look, look at, we'll read these together. And the kind took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, uh, lowing as they went and turned not aside side to the right hand to the left. Uh, this is supposed to be 2 Samuel. This is the wrong verse. There we go. It was told King David, saying, The Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now look at First Chronicles chapter 15. And David made his houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. And David said... None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Now go on down to the next verse. Verse 13. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we saw him not after the due order. Now notice David in this period of time begins to realize now, wait a minute. If the ark is there and the house of Obed-Edom is being blessed with the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God, all these things, then it's not the ark. There's nothing wrong with the ark of the covenant. There has to be something wrong with me or with us because of what happened, not God. So there's no need to fear the presence and power and glory of God. But there's a need for me to make correction. And so what does he do? He goes to the word of God. And what does he discover? He reminds himself of the fact that, wait a minute, it was the Levites that were supposed to carry it and not to have a cart, whether new or old, an ox cart to carry the ark. And so he appoints them to go and take the ark and move the ark as they were supposed to the first time. And as a result, of course, he is successful. Now, the Levites were carrying this ark on their shoulders, which really, if you think about it, it's a type of they were carrying the glory of God on their shoulders. And everywhere they went, that's what they did. They carried the ark of God on their shoulders. So they carried the glory of God on their shoulders. Well, how many of you know that you and I are priests and we are of a royal priesthood today? And it's the priest's responsibility to carry the ark or the glory of God, but not on our shoulders. Where? In our hearts. We have the glory where? In these earthen vessels of ours. In First Peter 2 and verse 9, what does it tell us? We're the royal priesthood, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a redeemed people that you should show forth the praises of him that calls you out of darkness into this marvelous light and so in other words we have the glory we have the power and the blessing of God within and it's up to us to carry this presence, this power, this glory of God where? everywhere we go so if we want it in manifestation then we need to do it the way he wants us to do it so here's the point is the church of today praising and worshiping God as He said to? Are we carrying the glory about us as He said to? Look in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. You remember the Lord's Prayer when Jesus prayed and told His disciples how to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember He said that? How is it then that God's worship is taking place in heaven? so that we can duplicate that here on the earth. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory, honor, and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and they were created this is giving us an example or an illustration of how God is being worshipped and adored in heaven how these people these beings and these individuals that are there before the throne of God are worshipping him by saying you're holy holy, holy now again I mean no disrespect beloved I believe the church has got to wake up. And it's not about the fancy music. It's about heartfelt worship. It's about coming together, knowing that we house the glory of God. And God wants us to worship him in spirit and worship him in truth. And if we will come in spirit with a sincere heart, within our spirits, and with truth according to his way, his design. And we would worship him that way, including maybe bowing down before him and declaring, you are holy, you are worthy. And if we would do that, we will create a habitation for him in the spirit in this place where his glory will manifest, not just the anointing, but the glory would manifest among us. So we need to do it God's way and not ours way. I've heard it said too often, but we've got to keep up with all the the different styles of music and all that so that we can reach all the different people, especially the young people. We've got to do it this way to keep the young people beloved. That's not what it's about. It's not about appealing to the flesh so that we can attract them. It's about Worshiping God in such a way to have his glory manifest that they would be drawn to him and who he is and what he does. That is what it's all about. When David realized I can't do it my way or their way, we've got to do it God's way. And this is what God says to do. Do it this way. Worship me in spirit. Worship me in truth. Number two, we need to also be sensitive to the sacred. Sensitive to what is sacred. Now, the first attempt, you could say, was like a carnival. It was like a parade that we know of. Have you been to a parade? See all the floats go by, the horns that are blowing, and all these things are going on, and all kinds of, you know, stuff's taking place? Well, when David did it the first time, this was like a carnival, a parade going on. He's dressed in his kingly attire so as to draw attention to himself because you see now he's not just a mighty warrior. He is now recapturing the Ark of the Covenant. He's bringing it back to the people and he wants, you know, the glory that comes from all the people saying, Oh, David, you're so wonderful. You killed Goliath and we worshipped you for that. Now you're a king and you win battles, etc., etc., etc. That's what David is doing. You see, And so he attempts to do this the wrong way in every aspect of it. Because, you see, he's caught up in pride once again. But like Naaman, he made a decision when he heard the right way to change his heart and to change his mind and do it the way that God wants it to be done. Well, which way did God want it to be done? Did you notice how we read those verses where it says that... Well, look look at 1 Samuel and look at chapter 6, verse 13. It was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord... They that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. That's 18 feet. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Wait a minute. They're bearing this ark of the covenant on their shoulders, and they go 18 feet and stop. And this happens seven times in increments as they went to take it to its rightful place. Look at the, in Chronicles there, Paul pulled that one up. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. It came to pass when God helped the Levites bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. You think they were cautious the second time? The second attempt? They went 18 feet and offered a sacrificial animal. They went further, offered another sacrificial animal. What is that telling us? The road to glory is paved with blood. The road to glory was all paved with the blood of the sacrificial animals. They wanted to be certain they were doing everything the way that God wanted it to be done. And they did this along the entire path until they finally got to Jerusalem and they placed the Ark of the Covenant in the tent within the, t- the tabernacle and set it in its proper place. You know what Hebrews 10:19 says? Let's read it. Having therefore a brother boldness to enter into the holiest, By the blood of Jesus, there's only one thing that will get us into the glory. To get us into the holiest place of all. The precious blood of Jesus has paved the way for us to enter into the glory of God. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You have a bloodless religion, you have nothing. The blood of Jesus has paved the way for us, and we can enter in. Praise God, and we can worship God. Now, David also was dressed not in his kingly robes, but this time he was dressed in a white linen ephod, just like the priests were. And you see a change of heart attitude in David. The first time haphazardly just doing his own thing. This time getting into the word of God. Finding out what God said about carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And entering into the place of God's presence. Humbling himself before the Lord. And putting on. Why this? Why is he wearing this hiphon? To draw attention not to himself. But to draw attention to the living God. God shares his glory with no man. And in this case. David wasn't receiving any glory. He was saying, look, all the glory belongs to God. As a matter of fact, if you recall in in Psalm 24, we don't want to read the whole thing, but in Psalm 24 where it said, who is the king of glory? Let the king of glory come in. Along this way, as they were bringing this ark, it is believed by scholars that this is when this psalm was written. Don't look at me. I'm not the king of glory. You look at him. He's the king of glory. So let the king of glory come in. And then also, uh, Psalm 68 and verse 1. Let's look at that. Psalm 68 and verse 1. Let God arise. See, when we see... How many remember that song we used to sing back in the day? Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and enemies be scattered. Right? Remember that? you sing that song? This is the revelation behind it. When he got the Ark of the Covenant and he placed it in his proper place is when David, it's believed, wrote that psalm that said, Now let God arise and let every enemy be scattered. Because you see, they were without the Ark of the Covenant. They were without the glory of God, the hand of God's power and protection and blessing upon them. And of course, they were overcome by their enemy. But now they have the ark in its proper place. And what he was saying was this. Let God arise from this place and let him stretch forth his mighty hand and bring deliverance. A healing, wholeness, blessing. Let us scatter our enemies from one way to another way. From before our face, seven ways. Not by our strength or power or might, but by the hand of Almighty God. So let God arise. And he goes on And throughout that entire psalm. Some of it is prophetic about Jesus who overcame the enemy and destroyed the work of Satan. Destroyed the work of darkness. Let God arise and let every enemy be scattered. Praise God. So we see here that he was sensitive to the sacred. When he was sensitive to the sacred, what happened? God's presence manifested among the people. So, what does that say to us? And beloved, sometimes you feel like you're plowing up against a stump. Because do you realize that over time, step by step, little by little, things change in the body of Christ. And before you know it, you've gotten further and further and further and further away from the things of God. That happens over the years in every generation. I mean it. People want to come to church and have exciting music, psychedelic sounds, all kinds of smoke on the platform and everything to make it modernized. Is that what God said to do? Is that what God wants? To appeal to the flesh and make people feel excited about you know, what they want that entertains them? I believe it's time to get back to us entertaining God and not being entertained by music or anything like that it's time for us not to to be concerned about whether or not physically emotionally my needs are being met through music and and that sort of thing if need be put down all the instruments get on our faces before God and just say holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty You made heaven and earth, and you made me. You deserve my worship, my praise. I give you honor and glory. I join the heavenly choir, the heavenly host, and I say worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And you might get some say, but that's boring. We want to have this, and we want to have that. It wasn't boring there before the throne, was it? Mm-mm. No, not at all. All right, number three. And the third one is sanctify ourselves. Sanctify your neighbor. Sanctify your spouse. Sanctify your business partner. No, sanctify ourselves. Notice in First Chronicles, once again, 15, beginning at verse 12. And said to them, you are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order, So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the slaves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. It's when we honor the word of God by saying, this is how you want it done. This is what you expect of us and from us. This is what you want. And so I'm going to honor you, is what David said. We're going to get the Levites, and they're going to sanctify themselves. And that sanctify means to set themselves apart. And when it came to special occasions, there was special sanctification that they had to participate in. In some cases, it meant that they had to honor the Lord in a certain way, whether it was their dress or their very person. It was cleanliness. They had to be clean before the Lord. Remember, whenever they went to offer up sacrifices, the Lord the, the Lord commanded that they would go through certain process of cleansing before they would go before the Lord and and honor Him that way. But it also meant some serious times of abstinence, staying away from certain things, so that they could present themselves holy before the Lord. Now that's in the natural, and that's all typical typical of of different things that we would do today. So for us, what does that mean? Notice in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 what it says having therefore these promises dear beloved what promise of God dwelling in you and you dwelling in him let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God and then in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 notice verses 19 through 21 Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having the seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let every one that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in the grace house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood, of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart, meet or prepared for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So what is he saying? He is basically saying that what we ought to do, any church, any individual, any family, if we were to follow those three things, submit ourselves to the word of God and start doing things the way that God says to do it, if we are to be sensitive to that which is sacred before the Lord, the things that are sacred to him. You know, the blood of Jesus is holy and sacred unto the Lord our God. Our times before him in his presence, his presence is a holy presence. Remember, he told Moses, take your shoes off. You're walking on holy ground. The presence of the Lord is a holy place. And and even when we gather together like this as well, and you've heard me say this before, but I, I believe it bears repetition. You know, in our sanctuary, this should be a time of reverence before God. This is a time of holiness before God. And yet we've got so many churches putting in, in the chairs that are theater chairs that are very comfortable, which is fine. And they've got cup holders for coffee and for pop and all those different things and in some cases even pass out popcorn. Notice set apart in your cleanliness of yourself and also sanctified set apart in in the things that you do. So what is he expecting from us? An attitude where we see him as a holy God, like Isaiah did, high, lifted up, and full of glory. And we come as the tabernacle or the temple of God, which is what we are, and we get before the throne of God with sincere hearts and just say, you know what, Lord? I am not satisfied. I want more. I want more. I want to be a vessel of honor, Me prepared for the master's use." I want to come together with an attitude in a church service that says, I'm not satisfied till your glory falls in this place. I want to see you blanket this place with your glory. And so I'm going to come with a pure heart and true assurance of faith. My heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. My body washed with the pure water of the word. I'm going to come to honor you, to love on you, to bless you, not be distracted by carnal things or carnality. I am come to see to it that I completely focus my attention just upon you and you alone. And I am going to honor you with my praise, with my worship. I'm going to lift my voice on high and I'm going to glorify your holy name. And I'm going to be someone that's going to be an encouragement to other people to do the same thing because I believe with all my other brothers and sisters in the Lord that if we come together with this kind of a heart, we can give place to your holiest presence and you know what where the glory is in manifestation there'll be signs there'll be wonders there'll be manifestations there'll be miraculous in in operation there's going to be the, the things that he longs to do in the midst of his people that otherwise would never be done or would not happen but it takes people that are saying I'm sold out to it I'm dedicated to it I'm not coming to be entertained praise God I'm come to give my all to the king of kings and lord of lords do we want that